Seven months after my brother's sudden passing, I was in the North Georgia mountains leading a summer camp for a few hundred high schoolers. I was only a few miles away from where my own deepening conversion had occurred while in high school, but I had not yet fully grieved or recovered from the recent family tragedy. Healing and miracles had unfolded all around me, particularly for my parents and sister, but I was still angry with God and resentful towards my brother. I couldn't understand why he had to die so young or why we had never been as close as I had always wanted to be. I needed God to not just heal me, but give me a new heart. The words of the prophet Ezekiel could not have been more appealing. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will take out of your flesh the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. It was high time for healing and hope to propel my life forward. This is the opening paragraph. These are the opening lines of chapter nine in Let Beauty Speak, my brand new book about the art of being human in a culture of noise. Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. My name is Jimmy Mitchell. It is a great privilege to have you tuning in as we are diving into the second last of our principles here in the art of being human, principle number nine, which is the principle of mission. It's crazy to say this, but this is the second to last episode of season seven of the podcast as well. So we are very much landing the plane. Next week, we'll dive into our final principle of culture, which will come with an exciting announcement as well. So make sure you tune in next week for that. But for now, get comfortable, begin thinking about your own life missions and perhaps the kind of suffering that began with great mystery and even confusion and certainly pain that in some way led to a profound calling. Because that's what this principle is all about, the way that God brings not only healing, but at times even profound callings out of some of the most difficult and painful seasons of our life. And how all of us are called to, in fact, be on mission with the Lord, Jesus Christ himself, who is the Redeemer of us all. So again, welcome back to the Love Good Podcast. I'll be back in just a few moments as we dive into our principle number nine, mission. Let's turn back the clock 10 years ago, and I find myself very much in a process of grieving the loss of my older brother. Now, I've talked all about that in last week's episode, which is, of course, our eighth principle here in the art of being human, which is the principle of suffering. And all of us have been through suffering. I'm sure some of you out there have been through far greater suffering than I have, uh, unimaginable suffering. And sometimes we discard it, or we undermine it, or we even, in some cases, obsess over it. I think that's probably less likely. But many of us forget that whatever our suffering is, it's legitimate, and that God has an intention, a very real plan for turning that suffering into something beautiful, which is what this principle of mission, at least in my experience, was all about. So 10 years ago, I'm a few months into grieving the loss of my older brother, and I had actually just traveled, I think, six weeks in the winter all over the country, really getting the word out about Lovegood. We were just about to launch a summer tour, and I was just beginning to make contacts with people all over the country who really believed in this power that beauty has to transform our culture, to evangelize our post-Christian society from the inside out. So this was 
in many ways the origin of love good, but it was also the origin, or I should say the confirmation of a lifelong calling in my life, which has been, again, to be an older brother in the lives of young people that for whatever reason my brother cannot be for me anymore. So there I am traveling the country having a, a pretty phenomenal winter, definitely exciting and adventurous, and in many ways healing, just a lot of time on the open road, a lot of time to myself. And that following summer, like most summers, I was busy running around giving talks at retreats and conferences and summer camps. And at one particular summer camp in the North Georgia mountains, I found that there was still a lot of pain I hadn't dealt with, a lot of struggle and confusion and even woundedness that I hadn't fully surrendered over to the Lord yet since my brother's passing. And so it was in adoration one night at this summer camp that I really started to surrender all of this pain, all of this uh, suffering that had been unfolding now for so many months. And at one point, I was recognizing that there was bitterness, there was anger, there was sorrow, uh, all of which I wanted to leave at the altar that night. We were having, again, Eucharistic adoration. I wanted to leave it all behind and surrender it to the Lord once and for all. And sure enough, about 20 minutes into adoration that night, I look up towards the front of the room and I see these two young men the older one, just a little bit older, really, than the younger one, says in a slightly audible voice, I love you, brother. And these were words I had never heard growing up. These were words that meant a great deal to me, even in that moment, though they weren't being spoken to me. It was as if God was trying to communicate something to me. And sure enough, we're nearing the end of adoration. This is, I don't know, 30 minutes later, and I, I see these same two guys. And this time, the older one, has his hand on the shoulder of the younger one, clearly interceding for him, praying for him. And as soon as I saw that, I felt a hand on the back of my shoulder as well. And I never turned around to see who it was, but everything in me knew that God was at work, that he was undergoing some process of healing in my own life. To borrow the words of the prophet Ezekiel, he was giving me a new heart. He was putting a new spirit within me. He was removing that heart of stone, that heart of bitterness, that heart of sorrow. And I didn't really know what to think of this. I never turned around to see who it was. I just let the moment happen. And I, again, had a profound sense that God was up to something. And it must have been a few days later, we're all packing up from this camp and about to hop in our cars and head home. These were people from all over the country. And this one particular chaperone, as we're all saying our goodbyes, he walks up to me and he says, Jimmy, this is going to sound a little crazy, but that was me who put my hand on your shoulder a few nights ago in adoration. And I really believe that God asked me to put it there. And I also believe that he wants you to know a few things. He wants you to know that your brother is proud of you, that he loves you, and that to make sure from this point forward, I call you Jimbo, which frankly, is a bit of a family nickname, not something he would have known much about. And in that moment for me, there was a profound, overwhelming sense of healing. I suddenly felt free of all the bitterness, all of the grief, all of the sorrow, even the anger, the confusion. It wasn't that I suddenly could make sense of it all, and it wasn't even that the pain all suddenly went away, but in a moment, in a profound moment of grace— God healed that wound. And suddenly I felt this strong intimacy with my brother. Like I felt closer to him in that moment than I had ever felt to him during his earthly life. And again, with that healing came a calling, which was to go and continue being the older brother in the lives of young people 
that my brother can't be for me. And that is literally what my life has been about ever since. I, I kind of hinted at this last week during our principle on suffering, but now I kind of want to dive into it, particularly through this idea of mission. Because the reality is, regardless of our season of life, God has a mission for us that's meant to continually deepen and unfold. I got to say that in my own life, the greatest calling, the greatest mission has always come out of the greatest suffering. If you look at many of the great prophets in the Old Testament or many of the great apostles in the New, you can see that God is in the business of healing our wounds, of piercing them with his love, and transforming them into beautiful fountains of life for others. This is a mysterious truth. It's really at the heart of many of our greatest saints. It's also evident, I believe, in the lives of even our most ordinary brothers and sisters in the Lord as well. So let's think about this for just a moment. Let's zoom out a little bit. What is this call that we all have to mission? Maybe we're not even necessarily talking about vocation yet, although we could say we're talking about the primary and most important vocation for all of us, which is to be saints, right? There's a universal call to holiness. The main vocation for all of us is to be great saints. In fact, this was very much promulgated in 1964 with the Catholic Church's constitution, dogmatic constitution called Lumen Gentium. This was a part of the Second Vatican Council. And in that document, the Church writes this, Thus, it is evident to everyone that all the faithful of Christ, of whatever rank or status, are called to the fullness of the Christian life and to the perfection of charity. By this holiness as such a more human manner of living is promoted in this earthly society. And it goes on to say that in this way, the holiness of the people of God will grow into an abundant harvest of good, as is admirably shown by the life of so many saints in church history, end quote. I do think that for a long time, maybe decades, I dare say centuries, there was an assumption amongst Catholics that only priests and religious were really called to holiness. Now, I got lots of friends who aren't Catholic, and many of them didn't really have this confusion in their minds. I think they understood really from a young age that they were being called to be holy. They were being called to, to, to righteousness, to virtue. And so often you do see a, a certain boldness, and I dare say a certain holiness amongst a lot of evangelical Christians. They're really seizing that call. They're, in a sense, grabbing that bull by the horn and not letting go. For some reason, we as Catholics sometimes relegate that call to holiness to priests and to religious. We think, oh, that's, that's for the monks. And yet all of us, I would say, especially since the Second Vatican Council, have woken up to this universal call, that all of us are called to be great saints here and now. You know, why wouldn't we take our Lord at his word when he calls each of us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect? He says that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. So let's just give the church the benefit of the doubt, Catholics specifically, that we're waking up to this universal call to holiness, that we are embracing this call to become great saints. But how many of us are waking up to the universal call to mission? How many of us are truly living this call to be great apostles? I mean, look at the early church. Look at the way that the, the faith was spread decade after decade, generation after generation, for the first 300 years of Christendom, 
the faith was largely spread by word of mouth, right? It wasn't legal to be Christian. And so everybody took it upon themselves to live the faith radically, at times secretly, but in all cases, boldly. There was no point in being Christian unless you were going to be bold about it. And so everybody would have had this, I think, call deep in their heart, a profound sense of their responsibility, actually, of spreading the faith in the early church. And again, I think somewhere along the way, we, we kind of lost this. And so I remember in college reading Pope St. John Paul II's great encyclical called A Mission of the Redeemer. And he talks about this universal call to mission. That in fact, all of us, by virtue of our baptism, are called to spread the gospel, to very much evangelize the world, yes, with our lives, but also with our words. And so the question, I think, for most of us, the point of discernment for all of us, is how are we called to live that life of mission? And this does have everything to do with vocation, right? Of course, many of us are called to marriage and family life, that that is how God calls us to evangelize and to pass on the faith to the next generation, specifically by raising kids. But then there's also the call to celibacy, which takes the form of priesthood, religious life, consecrated life. What a beautiful call that is, that in fact, those who are called to celibacy have an opportunity every single day to enter into profound intimacy with God and then to storm heaven. Maybe it's on behalf of the souls entrusted to you as a parish priest. Maybe it's on behalf of the souls entrusted to you as a religious sister teaching in a school. But again, regardless of the vocation, all of us have a mission. So how is God calling you on mission? How is he calling you to be the very presence of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, here on earth? Well, I do believe that our unique and unrepeatable mission for each of us naturally flows out of our fidelity to these eight previous principles, right? We've been talking about suffering. We've been talking about community, work, leisure, prayer, friendship, freedom, wonder. All of these principles set the stage for mission because really they set the stage for healthy discernment, really entering into a conversation with God every day so that we can discern well His will for our lives. And obviously, there's no greater tool for this discernment than the rules that we find in the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. I couldn't recommend it more highly enough. In fact, I'm going through, just one day at a time, many of the great meditations in the spiritual exercises right now. But towards the very end, Ignatius gets into his rules for discernment. One of the best introductions of this book is actually by Father Timothy Gallagher. I think it's just called Rules for discernment, he unpacks these rules of St. Ignatius and then provides endless examples and even counterexamples that help you apply them to your life and to your own questions about God's will. So all that to say, if you're really looking for a deep dive into spiritual discernment, into discernment of God's will, go read the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola, particularly the section on rules for discernment. Uh, but I also recently came across a really beautiful small book that I think summarizes many of these rules of spiritual discernment. It's a contemplative author by the name of Father Wilfred Stinnison. This is a book that my spiritual director recommended to me several years ago, but I recently reread specifically this section 
on discernment, and he offers a few very basic rules. We'll sum them up with six. Number one, that in fact, inspirations from the Holy Spirit always align with the gospel. If we can't back up a decision with a solid basis in Christ's life and teachings, then we're in trouble. This is on the bottom of page 165 and Let Beauty Speak. Now we're turning to the next page here for Father Stinnison's rule number two. God's will is always reasonable, having a strong foundation in prudence and human wisdom. Number three, inspirations from the Holy Spirit always bring lasting peace and joy, even if they sometimes begin with a certain restlessness. Number four, God's will never makes excessive demands, nor does it create heavy burdens. It acknowledges our human limitations and fosters humility. Number five, inspirations from the Holy Spirit are always rooted in reality. Any ideas that lead to endless dreams or fantasies are never from the Lord. And finally, number six, God's will is always rooted in the church with great love for her teachings and authority. That's really simple. Those are six principles or rules or uh, truths about discerning God's will. Okay, again, number one, they've got to line up with the gospel. Number two, they've got to be reasonable. Number three, they've got to bring peace and joy. Number four, they've got to be realistic and not make excessive demands on us or create those heavy burdens. Number five, they've got to be rooted in reality, not fantasy, what the Lord actually deigns to be possible in and through our lives. And then finally, number six, a real rootedness in the church. And this is where having a spiritual director uh, could not be more highly advised, right? That in entrusting ourselves, I think ideally to a priest, but anybody who's trained in spiritual direction, particularly with Ignatius of Loyola's spiritual exercises in mind, they can help us navigate the difficult questions of life. They can help us make sure that we are aligning our discernment with these rules of Father Stenison, which are, again, rooted in St. Ignatius. So here's really what all of this boils down to, that we have a unique and unrepeatable calling, each of us, to bring the love of God to the ends of the earth, even if to the ends of the earth means climbing down our own chimney and simply loving the people right in front of us. And I do believe that God is full of surprises. I never would have imagined myself living in Tampa, Florida. I never would have imagined myself being so happy, living such a stable life, not hopping on a plane every 10 to 14 days, not even necessarily being a full-time entrepreneur anymore, you know, like having a a workplace and a work community that I show up to every single day, having 850 students that I have the privilege of of accompanying in their own growth and faith and virtue. Uh, It's just a wild change that I, I never saw coming. And this is part of what the Lord is always inviting us to be, is open to His will and open to His surprises. In fact, on page 166, I have a whole section on what Pope Francis calls the art of accompaniment. You know, really, regardless of our unique mission and our unique vocation, all of us are called to stand shoulder to shoulder with others and to go on pilgrimage with Christ to the Father. You know, that all of us need a a certain missionary style, as Pope Francis says, that's focused on the essentials, what is most beautiful, most grand, most appealing, and at the same time, most necessary. In other words, the gospel, right? Most of us have friends and family and neighbors and coworkers, people in our lives who don't know Jesus, who have never really even heard the gospel before. And it might be that we have the great opportunity, maybe the only person who even has access to their soul, 
in order to preach that gospel and to bring them into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I've been promising, these episodes are meant to be getting shorter and shorter as we get towards the end of season seven, because again, I really dive into these principles far more deeply in the book, again, which can be found exclusively at lovegoodacademy.com. I also get into them really deeply in our brand new formation platform, aptly titled Love Good Academy. So if you're not yet subscribed as a patron, today's the day. I feel like I've been saying that for eight or nine weeks now, but the only way to get a copy of my book or to get full access to this brand new formation platform is to subscribe as a patron at lovegoodacademy.com. For as little as $10 a month, you get a copy of the book, you get this really cool free patron-exclusive t-shirt, and again, full access to the platform. To close out today's episode, I'm going to read from the very end here of our principle number nine uh, here in Let Beauty Speak. This is on page 172 for those who are following along. These are, I believe, formidable words from Father Jesus Urtiega Loidi. He's a Spanish Opus Dei priest. He wrote a book called Man the Saint, which is nearly impossible to find. But I want to read just a small part of this excerpt from Man the Saint, which I believe is a beautiful reminder of the universal call that we all have to put out into the deep, to lower our nets for a catch, and to join Jesus in his great mission of redemption. Again, this comes from Father Jesus Ortega Loidi, and I quote, If you are one of those who launch out into the deep, set the helm straight and firmly, and let your motto be, rather to die than turn back. If you give yourself to God, give yourself like the saints did. Let no one and nothing occupy your attention and slow you down. You belong to God. If you are gambling with sanctity, then stake your whole life on it. If you give everything, do not keep back your youth, which is the most pleasant of all in the eyes of our Father. If on the high seas, as you roll along, you come across a corpse or two, who groan of despair and desertion, keep on rowing with your eyes fixed on heaven and let the dead bury their dead. If the lonely evenings make you afraid, lift up your arms to heaven and the wind will be your friend. If the thick fog of the long days at sea lessens your youthful enthusiasm, shout to the waves and you will see all the other boats which are going in the same direction. You will learn with time to read the stars and you will see that on your innermost parts, words will begin to engrave themselves. Let down your nets for a catch. You will recall the excuse that rose to the lips of St. Peter, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Before God has time to say anything, you finish with the words of the apostle, At thy word I will let down the net. You will cast it, and the miracle will happen. You will call the others to help you pull in the nets, and the Lord who is there in your boat will smile. But it is your own arms that will do the work. The laughter will change to tears when the nets break, and you will look at Christ. Then God will lend a hand. The word miracle, miracle, will travel from boat to boat, wafted by the wind, softly over the waves, and slowly reach the shore. Miracle, put into shame more than ever those who did not dare. Duke and Altum, launch out into the deep waters with the help of Christ's other lovers. What are we afraid of, O men of little faith? This concludes our ninth principle of mission, at least on the Love Good Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back next week diving into our final principle, principle number 10, which is all about culture 
And with that, again, will come a very exciting announcement. So tune in. God bless you guys. Pray for me. Know that I'm praying for you and continue to bring beauty to the forefront of your life and build that culture of conversion with your family, your friends, your parish, your your school, wherever you find yourself. This is a huge opportunity as we apply these principles and band together with others, living them in a way that is truly compelling, in a way that's truly captivating of our post-Christian culture. It does have a powerful effect. It does move the needle, and it does make a difference. So we're in this together. God bless you guys. And again, we'll see you next week as we dive into our final principle of culture. 